Like many of you, I have watched with dismay as the SPD has failed to demonstrate restraint or exercise the de-escalation principles that should be the hallmark of a truly reformed law enforcement department. The culture change we are pushing for and have been pushing for since the consent decree has failed to materialize. That's Seattle City Council President Lorena Gonzalez speaking a few weeks ago about the need for a culture change in the Seattle Police Department and the defund police effort the council is working through to make that happen. Welcome back, everyone, to Seattle News, Views and Brews, the Coffee Break podcast that's always percolating with a take on local politics. I'm Brian Callanan. I'm also a host on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are my own. Joining me is a special guest this week, former city council member, council president. Somehow he snuck up to the seventh floor of City Hall at some point, was mayor for a brief while. Tim Burgess. Tim, it is great to have you on the podcast. Hey, Brian. Nice to speak with you again. All right. More on what Tim's been up to in just a little bit. But first, thank you to our background noise sponsor, City Grind Espresso, from the first floor of City Hall. Shut down during the COVID-19 pandemic. But thanks, John and Charlie, for your help. Thanks also to our supporters on Patreon. You're the ones keeping this podcast going. If you'd like to support independent local journalism, please do put in a few dollars a month. That's all it takes. Let's get started with right here, right now. So a lot to ponder here in the last weeks of August as the Seattle City Council takes its annual summer recess. And Tim, I wanted to get caught up. You spent a decade with the city of Seattle as a council member, briefly as a mayor, leaving office in 2017. But you have been busy since then. What have you been up to? Well, I spend uh, most of my time with my grandkids and Good. traveling around the state. Uh, but in terms of public uh, work and public policy, I've spent most of my time on early education. Yeah. You know, that was a major focus of mine at City Hall while I was there and the Seattle preschool program as a result of that. But uh, I work with the College of Education at the University of Washington okay. to advance uh, early learning opportunities yep. for the children of Washington State. Yeah. And you ran a political action committee last year, People for Seattle. What was that like, that process going through it from that side of things? So I I was involved in the formation, uh, not necessarily the day to day activities, but um, we formed a political action committee to elect progressive candidates that we thought were rational and would approach public policy uh, with a critical eye and represent all of the people of Seattle. And we were doing well in that effort until um, the, the narrative of the election shifted in the last few weeks mm-hmm. uh, to you know this belief that uh, corporations were trying to buy City Hall and that mm. certainly did not help us. And yeah. um, we, we were not as successful as we wanted to be. It's, it's been an interesting last several months, and talking about good governance is definitely something I'm going to focus on with you. And I really wanted your perspective on the show this week because the city of Seattle is at what feels like kind of a watershed moment. We have a police chief in Carmen Best, the SPD's first and only black chief. She's resigning. She's saying she felt disrespected by the Seattle City Council. Just in terms of what's happening right in front of us, what is your take on what happened here and the meaning behind this pretty big moment in Seattle's history? It certainly is, and I, I think the city council has uh, been too, too quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've rushed. Uh, they have uh, not consulted with uh, experts in police reform and uh, criminal legal system reform, 
And, you know, I've encouraged them to slow down and get this right. There, there, Brian, there is no doubt that we need substantive change mm-hmm. in law enforcement right. and in our broader criminal legal system as well. No doubt about that. Yeah. And there's a long history that we can learn from yep. as, we, as we look to the future. But public safety is not something that we can play with. It's mm-hmm. fragile and it's critically important to all of the people of Seattle in every neighborhood in our city. And I, I just wish the council would slow down and take a more deliberative, careful approach to, to these challenges. Let me pick apart a little bit of that, Tim. Just this whole impact on public safety. I know the mayor and the chief have been talking about that over this past weekend here. I know that city council members, though, have said, now, hang on, you're just trying to scare people here. When we talk about having fewer police officers, that doesn't mean that we're necessarily less safe. I bring that up as just a a point of contention here from the city council right now. What's your take on that opinion there? Well, um, it's mixed. I mean, some city council members, I think, are doing a better job than others. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the question is, do we have the right number of police officers is a legitimate question. I think the more important question is, are we deploying our police officers correctly. Which is a big Uh, part of the conversation right now. Yes. It it is, although the council has just voted to eliminate 100 police officer positions, and they don't know what the alternative response options will be. So they've acted to eliminate positions without having a plan in place for how we're going to do the work that those officers would have done. Right. and, and this idea that we can just slash the police budget and eliminate officers, and it's going to be easy to replace those services is so misguided. And there's lots of literature on this in the, in the field of criminology and policing. Yeah. That's why I've urged them to follow the science of policing here. Uh, it's not easy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be very expensive. Yeah. In fact, likely more expensive than what we're paying now for public safety services in our city. Yeah. And, and I, I just, in terms of the timing of it all, Tim, I've seen the council really wrestling with the dilemma here, the urgency for action in the wake of the George Floyd protests, protests that took over the streets of Seattle for weeks on end, some still happening right now. And then there's this need for a longer thought out process. But You've got people lighting cop cars on fire. You've got a pandemic on your hands. You've got to rebalance the 2020 budget even before the 2021 process that's going to happen in the fall. It feels easy to say to me in some ways, well, they needed to take more time. They're up against a lot of different pressures here and a lot of different deadlines. Well, that's true. And that's why you hopefully have public officials who are serving uh, and pursuing the common good and taking the time uh, to get it right. Uh, this is not easy. No, no one is claiming that this is an easy path to go down. Uh, it's not. It's complicated. And it has massive implications for the welfare of our city. Yeah. Yeah. And I know one person who is definitely saying you need to take more time is James Robart, the federal judge overseeing the consent decree that Seattle police have been under since 2012. And this is where it gets a little murky for me, Tim. So 
the council has been pushing for and actually got through this ban on crowd control tools. Some people call them weapons like tear gas, etc. That ran afoul of the consent decree. And this defunding effort could cause even more consent decree conflicts. Tim, I want to get your take on the consent decree. You lived with it as a council member, as a mayor. I think there's a lot of frustration from the council right now that says after eight years, we're still we're still seeing police act in a way that does not show restraint, that does not instill community trust. What good is this consent decree process and taking the time to go through it? Because it is fundamental to the long-term sustained reform that we all want of law enforcement. Um, I, I, you mentioned the crowd control ordinance. Yeah. That's a perfect example of the city council rushing, passing a law during an emergency yeah. when there was disorder in the streets getting slapped back by the federal judge. And now, recently, just in the last uh, few uh, days or week or so, the Office of Police Accountability, yep. the Com Police Commission, and the Office of Inspector General have mm -hmm. all said, hey, wait a minute, that ordinance is not crafted correctly and needs significant change. Yep. So it's a perfect example of rushing too fast and not paying attention uh, to experts, not paying attention to... Uh, the community, the broader community, yeah. uh, and listening only to the loudest voices, which is not the way to pursue public policy that is going to be effective and lasting. Got it. And we're going to talk about some of those solutions coming up right here. We'll move on to our next segment. Now hear this. Okay, so this is the part of the show where we pick apart a soundbite, usually from the past week in city council. But this time, I'm reaching back in the archives to September 25th, 2017. See if you can recognize this voice, Tim. It's important for someone in my position to clearly say black lives matter. Black lives matter in policing. Black lives matter in education. Black lives matter in our economic system. We must squarely face our history of racism and injustice. And frankly, that's something I don't think our country has really done. Okay, spoiler alert, that was Tim Burgess in an address to city council as mayor in September of 2017. Tim, we have yeah. been talking about police reform for decades. I remember coming up to your office in city hall when you were serving there to talk about this too. I just wanna get real, and you've talked about some of these things recently in an op-ed in the Seattle Times. What can the council do right now? They're talking about revamping 911, other ideas. What does reforming the Seattle Police Department look like to you? How do they do it? Well, I think there's two paths that need to be followed. The first is, what do we want our police to be doing? Mm -hmm. uh, what, you know, what's our overall response to um, the criminal legal system? And uh, how are we going to do policing in our city? And the second path is, who do we want yeah. to do policing in our city? And those, both of those paths have to be followed at the same time, in, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And in terms of that strategy piece, I know you talked a lot about uh, trying to find the different criminal hotspots. Again, looking at some of the science that surrounds criminology here. And I know also uh, in looking at that, the city has worked on that before. I think back to the nine and a half block strategy from a few years ago. I think that did a good job at the outset of cleaning up a few things. But then you got people moving into other neighborhoods and, and things along those lines. Help me out with that hotspot theory, what you'd like the council to consider there, what you want police to consider there when it comes to cleaning up streets, trying to reduce the crime that's out there. Help me out with that thought, please. Sure, and it's important to understand that crime rates 
that are reported to the FBI by police agencies all around the United States mm -hmm. involve generally eight criminal offenses. They're referred to as the major crime index. Yep. And that's what everybody talks about. But that leaves out hundreds of other crimes that are not reported and analyzed in the same way. So mm. we may say that Seattle is seeing a reduction in overall violent crime or property crime over the last 20, 30 years, mm -hmm. which is generally true. Yeah. But you could have hotspots within a city, within a neighborhood where crime is actually surging. Yeah. We see that in our city in various places. Yeah. It's, it's false to say that whole neighborhoods are inundated with crime. That is generally never the case. But within those neighborhoods, there might be two or three or four specific micro places, often a corner or yeah. just a block where mm -hmm. crime is surging. And effective policing is going to deal with these so-called hotspots to make them less hot. And we've got a couple of examples in Seattle where it's been highly successful. Yeah. You mentioned the nine and a half block yeah. strategy. Right. Um, it was successful initially, but it was not pursued. And yeah. so that success was lost. In Rainier Valley, out at the um, intersection of Rainier Avenue South and South Henderson Street, right. where mm -hmm. Rich High School is, and there's a community center there, and there was a lot of crime occurring there. And this project kicked in several years ago to address these concerns from a grassroots perspective. Yes. The police were involved somewhat, uh, but it was mostly the people who live in that neighborhood, work in that neighborhood, the, what I call the natural guardians. Of yeah, that no, area. this is Rainier Beach, a beautiful, safe place for youth. I've done stories with these people, too. Keep going. Tim. Yeah, it's very, very successful in making that a much more livable, safe place for all of the people in that area. Yeah. Uh, many years ago, up on 23rd Avenue between Union and South Jackson Street, it was known for decades along that street as an open air drug market. Mm. That's where you could go and buy and sell uh, narcotics. Yeah. There was a very concentrated effort to deal with that from the community. Yeah. Again, the police and the prosecutors, those folks were involved also, but it was the community that came together and said, yeah. we don't want this open air drug market here. Yeah. And it was eliminated and has not come back. Right. Right. There's another piece here, Tim, that I wanted to make sure I draw through here. You've got this kind of bottom-up model, the community really having an impact mm -hmm. on what's happening with police. Safe passage, Rainier Beach, a beautiful, safe place for youth. There's another piece here, though, that I think is a big sticking point, and that's revamping officer discipline regulations. The council has been struggling this for a long time. I know that. There's the labor issues involved with the police officers guild or whatever else. Talk about some of those ideas there, because I think if that piece doesn't change, it's been a big sticking point in the consent decree. If that point doesn't change, then then where do we go? What, what progress can we make? Yeah, that's a great question, Brian. And I really want to affirm what many in the community are calling for, which is community driven policing. That's where the word. It does yeah. come, where it does come from the grassroots up. They're absolutely right about that desire. How we do that mm -hmm. is what is really important because we can't get it wrong. Yeah. We've got to do it right so that it keeps people safe in the community. Yeah. And a key component of that is who are the police officers that are um, helping to keep our community uh, safe. And I've suggested that we need some changes in state statutes yeah. related to uh, police accountability. Yeah. Uh, right now we have a system where 
police unions and cities and counties negotiate these things. It results in a patchwork of rules and regulations across the state of Washington. Mm -hmm. Anything related to police accountability, discipline, and the core standards of behavior we expect from police officers Mm -hmm. should be set in state law and should not be subject to who can bargain the best. That, that has created a lot of problems. We also need to look at who our police officers are. Yeah. And again, let's follow the science. We know from science that adults younger than age 25, mm-hmm. uh, their brains are not yet fully developed in yeah. order to make independent objective decisions. Yeah. The, the science also shows that folks under 25 Um, cannot be as creative as possible, and they tend to use um, uh, methods that create problems. So I would raise the minimum age of police officers to age 25 Mm. to follow what the science tells us. The same is true about education. Science tells us that those with a college education are going to use force less often mm-hmm. and are going to be more innovative and creative in their problem solving skills. Yeah. So let's require a college education. And for officers that are in the force today and don't have that, let's give them incentives to go yeah. back to school and yeah. earn that education. So there are specific steps we can take yeah. to solve the decades of kind of the revolving door of problems that we've had. And, and, you know, this goes back to the 1970s in Seattle. Right. Uh, Something happens, the the mayor will form a blue ribbon commission. Sure, right. There's a a study, there's steps to follow. Five, six, ten years later, we repeat it, and we've repeated it over and over and over again. I just, I have to ask, though, Tim, I know you were an officer yourself uh, a few years ago, and I just try to think about... (laughs) Many years ago. All right, all right, we'll call it what it is. Uh, But I think about the rank-and-file officers that are on the street right now, and what they must be thinking. I think there's a concern that they don't feel supported by the Seattle City Council. But then when we're talking about, okay, we've got to all come together here, and we're talking about revamping the way discipline is handed out, how, how do you make that connection there? And I'm, I'm just trying to get a feel for what, what's going through the average Joe, average Jane officer's mind right now with the situation that's happening in Seattle. So the officers I talk to, uh, they're demoralized. And sometimes they're even confused about Mm -hmm. what the elected leadership of the city wants. And that's another criticism I have of the city council. In their rush, they have further alienated the actual people that they need to work for this reform. And that's our police officers. Mm -hmm. We need them to come with us uh, in this journey. And they feel disrespected. They feel uh, not listened to. And it's, it's going to create problems and it's going to take a long time for that healing to take place. But again, the elected officials, the mayor, the city council members, the city attorney, these are the adults in the room. Yeah. They need to stand up and run a process that is respectful, that listens to all voices, that follows the science, yeah. and then make good, rock-solid decisions for the future and what's going to last, what's going to be effective to create the kind of justice system we want in our city. All right, we're gonna continue that train of thought as we jump into our next segment, our final segment, What's Next? We're gonna wrap up our show with another blast from the past. This, a snippet of Tim Burgess performing his version of Wiz Khalifa's Black and Yellow as a contestant on Candidate Survivor in 2011. Listen in. Young people, 
The Lyrical Miracle, Tim Burgess. Tim, I played that because I wanted to talk about a time we were smiling and discussing local mm. politics. I have just not seen a lot of smiles around City Hall recently. And yes, we're going through a pandemic. Yes, we're in a budget crisis. Yes, we have a police crisis too. But I'm looking for some level of hope here. I do not hope you continue your career as a freestyle rapper. I want to make sure I get on the record with that. Yeah, but I don't do worry want about that. I'm okay, going to. good, good, good. <laughs> I, I do want to talk about this idea of rebuilding a connection between our city council, between the mayor and the police department that has some collegiality to it, even some joviality, something that doesn't seem so grim. How do you improve those relationships, give the city a more unified front when it really needs it, when it comes to leadership? Is that possible right now? What are you seeing? Well, I certainly hope it's possible. And, yeah. you know, I don't think we should be surprised because we see in Seattle what we see nationally. Yeah. The, the division, the rancor, the tearing people down. Um, and that's very unfortunate. And, you know, I, I have my list of mistakes, too. I, I don't I don't hold myself up as, you know, any perfect elected official, but I tried as best I could when I was at City Hall to be open, to be humble in how I went about my work and to listen carefully. Uh, I would meet with anybody who wanted to have a reasonable discussion about a problem. And I, the, the thing that bothers me today, whether it's nationally or here in Seattle, is we've allowed uh, ideologies to drive our actions to the extent that I think in many, many cases, we've lost sight of what's best for the common good. Mm. And um, we, that's why elections matter. Yeah, yeah, they do. They matter a lot. Yeah. Can, can you give us some insight? I mean, what are those behind closed doors meetings like between council members, the mayor or whatever else. I know they're happening right now. A lot of stuff going back and forth on the budget, et cetera. I just have seen a lot of hostility, to be honest, in between the second floor and seventh floor. And I'm trying to figure out a way to bridge that gap. What are these meetings that are going on? How can we get to that more unified front going forward? Sure. So I haven't been at City Hall for, what, three and a half years now. Right, so right. I, I, I don't know okay. what conversations are happening there today. But hopefully... People uh, are are acting in good faith, yeah. and they will sit down and talk about their interests and where they would like the city to go. Hopefully, some of them are painting a vision for the future of our city and identifying where they can cooperate. Uh, I remember in 2016 and 17, when Councilmember Gonzalez and I worked on the police accountability ordinance, which yeah. ultimately passed. Um, she and I did not agree on every issue, but we had a relationship that allowed us to identify those disagreements and then to focus on those areas where we did agree. And we, it, it worked well. We were able to pass legislation that was sweeping. Yeah, historic, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And historic, yes. And I just yearn for the day when our public officials are focused on the outcomes that the people of Seattle want uh, rather than who's going to score points, who's going to get political uh, accolades. Let's just do the work of uh, reforming criminal legal system and policing in our city for the benefit of all of our people. All right. Tim, I know that's a lot of work ahead that you've described there, but I really do appreciate your input on the program. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you. And uh, 
Uh, don't worry, I'll stay engaged. All right, I'm love, sure of that. I'm sure city. of that. I love this city. Thank you very much. And for everyone who's a fan of the uh, baking segment of the show, we're back with beignets next week, so stay tuned for that. And the next time you want to know what's going on in local politics, give us a listen on Seattle News Views and Brews. Find out what's brewing. You can reach us via email at seattlenewsviewsandbrews at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and please, please support us on Patreon if you like what you're hearing and you want to support independent journalism. Thank you so much for listening. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Calaman Media Services. Copyright 2020.